Hey Conjurers, I'm Shan. And I'm Steph. High school is supposed to be the time of our lives, right? We meet our best friends who we get to experience everything with. From jobs, proms, sleepovers, and advice on our crush. As most of us know though, high school can also be a place of backstabbing rumors and secret haters. Today, I want to tell you a story of a 15-year-old girl who had so much going for her only to have it all taken away in one fatal night by the hands of people she would do anything for. Skylar Neese was born on February 10th of 1996 in Morgantown, West Virginia to Dave and Mary Neese. Skylar's parents described her as an ambitious whirlwind of a child who stole their hearts. They shared how intelligent she was with reading, writing, and solving math equations before most kids her age. As soon as Skylar entered nursery school, she made her first friend who would remain in her life until the very end, Morgan Lawrence. The girls looked at each other like sisters and were stuck like glue. Like most little girls, they even went as far as making plans to be in each other's future weddings. As time went on, the girls entered their freshman year of high school, and they found interest outside of what they shared and went their separate ways, but they continued to see each other on occasion. Friends were important to Skylar, and she had no problem making them with her bubbly personality, so she quickly formed her own group of friends with two classmates, Sheila Eddy and Rachel Schaff. Skylar's parents actually knew Sheila as she was growing up, but Rachel was new to town. The group with the self-proclaimed title Three Musketeers were together every single chance they had, before, during, and after school. New photos and videos of the three frequently emerged on social media as proof of them hanging out and enjoying each other's company. Even though the three sometimes got themselves into typical teenage trouble, Skylar remained a straight-A student who respected her parents' wishes. In high school, your friends feel like the most important thing in life. Sometimes it's hard to see if you have good ones or not, but it sounds like Skylar was still being true to herself, even if she was starting to get into a little bit of trouble. Yeah, it's rare your group of friends in high school don't affect your grades. Typically, you've got to hang out with your group where each member is just as motivated as you. So good for Skylar. Did this continue or did it take a turn? Well, the summer before her sophomore year, she was still thriving in school. She was happy, and she had landed her first job at a local Wendy's that she enjoyed. It was on July 5th of 2012 that 16-year-old Skylar arrived home after her late shift, hugged her parents, told them goodnight, then retired to her room. The following afternoon, Dave planned on meeting his daughter for lunch, but when he got home, she was nowhere to be found. When he went to her bedroom to check and see if she had overslept, he noticed her door was locked, so he used a coat hanger to get in, and upon entering, noticed her bed didn't appear to be slept in at all. Dave immediately called his wife to see if she had talked to Skylar or knew where she could be. They both assumed she went shopping or partying with friends and decided to wait until their daughter arrived back home and could explain herself. Dave eventually went out to his garden to have a smoke, and he noticed Skylar's window was open, and there was even a small footstool beneath the window. At this point, they knew Skylar had snuck out and intended to use the footstool to sneak back into her room the previous night. Disappointed in his daughter, but also worried, he called Mary again, expressing concerns that she still wasn't home. Mary assured him that she would return home soon because she had a late shift to work at Wendy's that night. 
They knew she wouldn't jeopardize her job, but six hours passed when they got a call from her employer at 4 p.m. asking if Skylar was planning on showing up today because she hadn't arrived to work yet. Ten minutes after receiving the call from Wendy's, Sheila called and told Mary she had a confession to make. She went on to say that Skylar, Rachel, and herself snuck out the night before. But instead of dropping Skylar off in front of their house, she asked to be dropped off at the end of the road. Sheila told them the reason for this was so Skylar's parents wouldn't hear Sheila's car, allowing Skylar to sneak back in through the window. That was around 11.45 p.m., making it almost 18 hours since any of Skylar's friends had heard or seen from her. And as if that wasn't alarming enough, it was unlike Skylar to miss work. They knew something was terribly wrong and immediately alerted the police. Worst nightmare for parents of teenagers. You want to give your kid a chance to come home on their own after making a bad choice, but you never know if you might be losing precious time if they're in danger. Right. I would have driven to my daughter's job, though, and waited while my husband waited at home. My heart would have dropped to my toes receiving that call. Absolutely. So now Skylar is officially a missing person. What did the police find? Upon arriving at the niece's residence, Star City Police treated this case as a runaway. At least until they began searching Skylar's room and noticed many of her personal items were there, including her phone charger, contact lenses, toothbrush, and all of her clothing. This fed into the theory that Skylar did intend to return home that night. Star City, West Virginia was a very small town with only 1,800 residents and one stoplight. Things like kidnappings weren't that common in this community. The police knew they had to do more digging, though, and the first step was getting to the surveillance footage from the niece's building. After reviewing the footage, it showed Skylar running and getting in the back seat of a pale three-door car at approximately 12.26 a.m. before it took off. But due to the CCTV footage being so grainy, the police were unable to tell the make, model, or license plate of the vehicle. The theory Mary and Dave came up with was that Skylar did sneak out with her friends Sheila and Rachel, then they dropped her off at 11.45pm. Skylar made it all the way home, but then another person came to pick her up almost 45 minutes later in this unknown vehicle, and she snuck out for a second time. Due to the video footage showing Skylar willingly getting into this vehicle, they let go of the kidnapping theory and didn't issue an Amber Alert. This didn't stop Dave and Mary from worrying about their daughter and doing what they could in the meantime to find her. Sheila ended up coming over to Skylar's house every day to comfort her parents and reassure them that Skylar would return. Sheila told them that Rachel was away at church camp. With no support and her best friend missing, Sheila ended up having a breakdown in Skylar's room alongside Mary. Those poor parents. Even if she was a runaway, it's still important to find her. She's 16, for God's sake. An Amber Alert still should have gone out. Especially since they had no clue who she would have even been with. Exactly. Her parents and her friends are clearly very worried. Did they take matters into their own hands then? Sheila, Mary, and Dave couldn't sit by and do nothing. So they started taking to the streets, knocking on doors to ask members of the community if they had seen Skylar and hanging up missing persons posters all over town. Dave even made an appearance on the local news station, pleading with the public to help find his daughter and get her home safely. By Sunday, it had now been three days since the disappearance of Skylar, and her family had a gut feeling that something bad had happened to their daughter. 
None of this was like her, and she would never leave her family worried sick. Her parents' mind drifted to a place we would never wish on anyone, that their baby girl may never come home. Around this time, Skylar's childhood friend Morgan got the news of her disappearance via Facebook and was devastated. At the same time, detectives were beginning to grow concerned. They had received calls about people seeing Skylar in Morgantown, New York, and California, but all these leads were a dead end. They pulled Skylar's bank and phone records and found out that her ATM card hadn't been active and her cell phone hadn't been used since the night of her disappearance. A runaway would have not only taken some of their personal belongings, but they would have also taken money out of their bank and would likely still be using their cell phone to connect with trusted friends. Uh, yeah. In 2012, no teenager is willingly not using their phone. She was clearly not a runaway. And it's not like the girl was running from her life there. There was absolutely no reason for her phone not to be in use. Yeah, even if she got in the car willingly, that doesn't mean she wasn't kidnapped. She could have trusted the wrong people and not realized it until too late. Right. And while all of this was going on, investigators were taking care of another lead on the other side of town. It turns out the day of Skylar's disappearance, two bank robberies took place, and these supposed bank robbers attended a teen party the night before. The part that interested the investigators the most was a rumor that Skylar was seen at this party, and an accident was said to have happened. Police heard that a teenager had died of a drug overdose, and others had tried to cover it up by disposing of the teen's deceased body. This also just turned out to be another rumor, though. A month had gone by, but investigators and family members refused to give up on finding Skylar. Little did they know, all the answers to their questions regarding Skylar's whereabouts could be found at the very school she attended, University High. The first day back at school, which would have been Skylar's sophomore year, was one many of her classmates dreaded. Even though Skylar was missing, her name could still be heard on roll call in classes she was signed up for. Her best friends Sheila and Rachel went about their lives, recording videos of each other, trying out for school musicals, and attending classes as if they weren't missing their third musketeer. Like most high schoolers, the students were growing more and more suspicious, and the rumors took off from there. Rumors on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook claimed things like Skylar had overdosed or she was in a different country. High school is like a petri dish for rumors. It's odd that her best friends just go about their days seemingly unaffected by their missing best friend. Yeah, very sketchy. I would have been side-eyeing them too if I went to that school. Did anyone close to Rachel and Sheila come forward? One student named Daniel was classmates with Rachel in drama and knew that she was not only close with Skylar, but was also one of the last people to see her. He knew she had to know more, or there was even a possibility that she knew exactly where Skylar was and was trying to cover it up. He wasn't the only one who suspected both girls knew more than they were giving to investigators in the public. Friends and adults that were close to them started urging that they speak up if they knew anything else regarding the case. Eventually, the FBI made their way to the high school to interview students regarding Sheila and Rachel's behavior. Most of the students said they didn't seem different in behavior, but the girls were remaining secluded with each other and were no longer letting people into their inner circle. Sheila and Rachel did have students and adults defending them during these interviews and on social media, though. Two of these adults were Skylar's parents, Mary and Dave, 
who went as far as driving down to the police station, insisting that they were wasting their time and demanding they stop harassing Sheila and focus on actually finding their daughter. During interviews with both the girls, Sheila appeared to be calm, direct, and confident. She would look investigators directly in the eyes while answering questions and was unwavering with her facial expressions. Rachel, on the other hand, seemed nervous throughout her interviews, constantly avoiding eye contact, playing with her pencils on the desk, and even drawing on it while responding to investigators. The girl's story of that night was completely in sync. They both said they picked Skylar up, drove around the town, smoked a little marijuana, and then dropped her off a few blocks from her home on the night of July 6. Their story was lined up so perfectly, it came across rehearsed. The investigators knew there was more to what these girls were telling them, and they wouldn't stop until they uncovered it. Uh, yeah. Her best friends would have known if she was planning to run away or if she was planning to meet up with someone after they dropped her off. They are definitely hiding something. Sheila is so eerie to me. One second she's trying to help, the next she's breaking down, then she's laughing, then she's posting about missing Skylar. Like, grieving a friend's loss, dead or missing, is rough, but girl, pick a mood. Everyone deals with stressful situations differently, but there's definitely something off about how Sheila was acting. Steph will tell us more regarding the investigation after this short break. Investigators started the hunt for physical evidence, which is the only thing that could give them definitive proof of the girls' whereabouts that night. Based on Sheila and Rachel's story, they were headed east that night on their drive, but on surveillance footage from a local convenience store, they were actually seen headed west. Based on the phone records on Rachel's phone, it had pinged off a cell tower located in Blacksville, 30 minutes west of where all three girls lived. At this point, investigators had the proof they needed that the girls were lying. They even shared this information with Skylar's parents, who changed their tune and started to do everything in their power to get the girls to speak up. One of Mary's tactics was to post indirectly on social media at Sheila. Most of these posts included things about karma, like karma will get you and you can't hide, hoping this would guilt Sheila into speaking up. The pressure may not have gotten to Sheila, but almost four months after Skylar's disappearance, Rachel spoke up and changed her story of what happened that night. She admitted that all three girls drove to Blacksville, and that's where Skylar asked to be let out of the car. The very next day, like clockwork, Sheila changed her story to match Rachel's. Over the next few months, Rachel could be seen by peers unraveling at school. She came off as upset and worried. She was isolating herself from her classmates, and she seemed distracted during all of her classes. Her parents even stated she seemed agitated at home and was constantly getting into altercations with family members. Clearly, she had something weighing on her, and it was only a matter of time before she would finally crack. It's starting to seem like Rachel is the one that's full of guilt, while Sheila may be the ringleader of whatever happened that night. Right? Sheila's breakdown when Skylar first went missing is starting to seem less sincere. Rachel is clearly being eaten away by their secret. So did she eventually break down and speak up? Well, on December 28th, a shocking 911 call placed by Rachel's mother reported that her daughter was in an erratic state. She was physically abusing them, she was screaming uncontrollably, and running around the neighborhood disturbing the neighbors. 
During the call, you can hear Rachel screaming in the background, her mother trying to calm her down as her father tried to contain her until police got there. As soon as authorities were able to detain Rachel, she was taken to the Chestnut Ridge Center Mental Hospital for evaluation. A couple days later, investigators got word that Rachel wanted to meet at her attorney's office because she had something she needed to talk to them about. The investigators headed that way and found Rachel with a trash can by her side in case she needed to throw up. They immediately started asking her questions, starting with the overdose rumor about Skylar. Rachel turned red, avoided the question, and said three words she would never come back from. We stabbed her. After a few minutes of silence, Rachel began to tell the entire truth. She said her and Sheila had been planning to kill Skylar for months prior to that night and had even settled on the date of July 5th. In the meantime, they continued playing the part of her best friends and hanging out on a regular basis. They even posted multiple videos to social media, seemingly enjoying each other's company. Okay, that's sick. They could have just kicked her out of the friend group. I mean, it's mentally traumatizing for any teen for sure, but at least she would have been given the opportunity to be alive today. What little psychopaths decide to murder someone instead of just stop being her friend? This option should have never even come to their minds. It's insane. Normal people don't think like them. So what's the story? I know they didn't just start stabbing her the moment she got into that car or whoever's car that was. According to Rachel, on the morning of July 5th, she took her father's shovel from their shed and packed a pair of clean clothes for the girls to change into while Sheila gathered the kitchen knives. On that evening, they called Skylar and told her to come out with them as they pulled up to her house in Sheila's car. The same car seen on the CCTV footage from earlier. They drove for over an hour until they got to a secluded area outside of Blacksville, pulled over, and found an area where they could sit and talk. As they made their way back to the car with Skylar in front of them, Rachel said, on three, and began counting. On three, the two girls began to stab Skylar repeatedly from behind. A confused Skylar fought back and asked her friends why, but ultimately it was a fight she would lose. Rachel and Sheila then covered Skylar's body with bloody dirt and branches and threw their clothes into the trunk and proceeded to drive off, leaving Skylar's body behind. When investigators asked Rachel how she felt after the murder, she just stated, and I quote, I felt like I needed to get it done before I went off to church camp. And when they asked her why she did it at all, she would say, we just didn't like her. They knew they needed to get to Skylar's body before any more evidence was lost and bring her home to her family. Rachel agreed to take them to where they left her, which was located just outside the Pennsylvania border. Though they weren't able to find an entire body, they were able to locate a few scattered human remains and sent them back to the forensic lab to be tested. Okay, Rachel, girl, God would not approve your actions. And we just didn't like her? What a terrible excuse. Right? How could any of that possibly seem normal to them? I don't like this girl anymore, so I need to get her murder taken care of before I go off to church camp. Seriously? <laughs> Seriously. I bet everyone was shook to find out Rachel and Sheila didn't just know more than they were dishing out, but they were the actual murderers. Right? So at this time, no one was aware of Rachel's confession or where the investigation was at. 
Even Skylar's parents were kept in the dark until investigators had all the facts. The only thing that was shared with them was that the remains that might belong to Skylar had been located. Due to Rachel's inconsistencies in her past interviews, they needed more than just Skylar's remains to arrest her. So instead of charging her right away, they took advantage of her relationship with Sheila and used her to also get her friend to confess as well. The plan was to have Sheila come to Rachel's house while the room was wired with cameras and get her to confess to murdering Skylar. The conversations they shared led to no confession and turned out to just be casual and nothing out of the ordinary. The police decided it was time to hammer down on their suspect and issued a warrant a few days later for Sheila's home. During their search, they took every kitchen knife they came into contact with and her car for further inspection. While inspecting the car, they were able to find traces of DNA in the trunk and sent it off to be analyzed. Meanwhile, the human remains found at the location Rachel took the investigators to were confirmed to be Skylar's. Well, now that the DNA is back, they probably have to tell everyone, right? Yeah, they couldn't hide the fact that they found her body, but they didn't tell everyone about Rachel's confession right away. I mean, I guess I get it. They still gotta get Sheila. What was going through everyone's head at this time? Once news broke about Skylar's body being found at University High, students were shaken up. They couldn't believe this could happen to someone they knew, someone so young and full of life. Sheila's friends even called to see if she was okay, and according to them, she was devastated and would say things like, who would do this to her? And I can't believe this happened to her. Sheila even took to Twitter that day to let everyone know how sad she was, posting tweets like, worst day of my whole life. The pain is real. And posting pictures with captions of herself, Rachel, and Skylar saying, rest easy, Skylar. You'll always be my best friend. I miss you more than you could ever know. Aside from her loud grieving on social media, other posts of hers revealed her and Rachel being goofy together and living carefree. Perhaps the most concerning tweet of all was one Sheila made on March 31st of 2013 that said, we really did go on three. Almost like she was taunting the police. Her daring game with law enforcement wouldn't last long, though, because a few weeks later, investigators got exactly what they needed to pin this murder on Sheila and Rachel. The DNA results from Sheila's trunk were back, and it belonged to none other than Skylar Niece. Yes, pick her deceiving butt up and take her away already. How twisted do you have to be to pretend to be heartbroken about the loss of a friend you murdered? Isn't that insane? She had been playing a part since the day her and Rachel started plotting. These girls were something else. So did they immediately arrest both her and Rachel? Oh, you know it. On May 1st of 2013, Rachel pleaded guilty to second-degree murder, which was brought down from a first degree thanks to her cooperation with the police. Police wasted no time in arresting Sheila, who was across town at the local Cracker Barrel restaurant with her mother having lunch. Police served Sheila with an arrest warrant for the murder of Skylar and charged her with first-degree murder. They now had both murder suspects in custody, but they still needed to know the same question Skylar had the day her life was taken from her. Why did they do this? In September of 2014, Sheila pleaded not guilty to the murder of Skylar Niece and was pushing for a trial. 
Back at University High, students were coming up with their own motives based on what they observed from the group of girls. According to classmates, they would hear Rachel and Sheila making fun of Skylar behind her back. They seemed to be slowly distancing themselves from Skylar and trying to push her out of the clique. Sheila was also known as a risky teenager, often hanging out with adults in their 20s and participating in drinking and smoking. Skylar's cousin, who went to school there, and Skylar's childhood friend, Morgan, said they could see that she was slowly trying to become Sheila. Her personality had gone from friendly to a little cold. Well, that's what happens to most guys and girls in high school. Whatever group you're a part of, you slowly become whoever the self-proclaimed leader is of the group. I remember those days, wanting so desperately to be more like the seemingly cool kid. It's a dangerous, slippery slope. It's so much more fun to just be yourself. Yeah, but most high schoolers just want to fit in. I always say I wish I could go back to high school with the mentality I have now. I would literally not care about anyone's opinions. I would just focus on my grades because college is really where the fun's at. Were there any other observations? One of Rachel's friends mentioned a conversation she had had with her where she was ranting about her hate for Skylar and said, I wouldn't mind if she just died. The girls could also be heard by classmates discussing the best way to murder someone. One older video began circling the web of a game where Skylar was recording Sheila asking her and Rachel, would you rather questions? Like, would you rather die of suffocation or a gunshot? To which Skylar said, shot, because there would be little suffering. Sheila continued with drowning or suffocating, to which Skylar and Rachel said suffocating. The only motive that made sense to classmates was that Sheila and Rachel developed a sexual relationship and that Skylar had found out and threatened to out them. There was never any proof of these rumors, though. The night of Skylar's disappearance, she tweeted the following, You doing shit like that is why I will never completely trust you. This would be the last time anyone would hear from Skylar before hopping in the backseat of Sheila's car. I'm going to take a guess and say maybe Rachel and Sheila got Skylar upset and said they wanted to talk it out that night, and that's how they convinced her to come out. You're probably right. They had been playing the long game with her, setting Skylar up for months before they killed her. It was very calculated. Okay, these girls had enough freedom at this point, so I need to know what they were sentenced. Well, on January 28, 2014, Sheila decided to take a plea deal and pled guilty to first-degree murder. The following statement was read from Sheila and her family. My client and her family recognize that the niece family is in a constant state of despair, loneliness, and sadness as a result of Skylar's death. She was sentenced to life in prison with eligibility of parole in 15 years. A month later, on February 25th, the niece family returned for Rachel's sentencing, who made it clear she felt she deserved to be there and apologized directly to Skylar's parents, stating, I don't know if there's a proper way to make this apology because there's no words to describe the guilt and remorse I feel each day for what I've done. I was scared and caught up in something I did not want to do. I've realized the gravity of my actions and how many people I hurt. Skylar's father, Dave, responded to a crying Rachel with, Rachel shouldn't have cooperated, and Rachel should have never murdered my daughter in cold blood. She can take her apologies and sit on them because that's about what they're worth to me and my wife. She has done nothing but make our lives a living hell since day one. 
Rachel was sentenced to prison for 30 years and would be eligible for parole in 10. The one regret Skylar's parents have is not knowing the girls well enough. They wish they would have watched for more red flags so they could protect their daughter. They wish students had spoken up regarding the behavior of Sheila and Rachel all along. One thing they do know is the plan the girls made was evil and calculated, and there's no justice that could bring their daughter home. I'm with Skylar's dad on this one. It does suck that the kids literally heard them talking about murdering her and didn't even drop a hint to Skylar. I guess in high school, they may chop it all up to ranting. No one wants to take things like that seriously because it seems unimaginable, but it's always a red flag and should always be reported. Skylar's life could have been saved. Easily saved. This stuff was pretty big for Morgantown, though. Did her death make a difference there? To this day, the former students that attended University High are traumatized from the murder of their classmate and have struggled with trusting new friends and questioning ones they have as they entered adulthood or went off to college. Skylar's childhood friend Morgan dreams of all the milestones she was supposed to mark with Skylar by her side, like college, her wedding, and their kids growing up together the same way she and Skylar had. A memorial was set up at the site of Skylar's murder and is still being tended to this day by her parents and loved ones. On March 27th of 2013, a West Virginia state legislator from the Neese family's home district introduced a bill called Skylar's Law to modify West Virginia's Amber Alert Plan to issue immediate public announcements when any child is reported missing and in danger, regardless of whether the child is believed to have been kidnapped or a runaway. The murder of Skylar Neese inspired the Lifetime movie called Death Click, a teen thriller. Sheila Eddy and Rachel Schaff are still incarcerated at the Lacken Correctional Center in Mason County, located in West Virginia. Sadly, Skylar's murderers Sheila Eddy and Rachel Schaff have never given the real motive behind taking her life. We do know, based on all the evidence, social media, and videos connected to the girls, their relationship was beyond the typical mean girls in high school. Rachel and Sheila didn't just decide one day to take away Skylar's future. They planned it and let it brew. They had every chance to back out, and they didn't. This just goes to show that adults aren't the only monsters we need to watch out for in our kids' lives. If you see something that's off, speak up. Because if one person had come to Skylar's parents, she could still be alive today. NAPAB, the National Association of People Against Bullying, is a nonprofit foundation that provides direct anti bullying services, education, and support to students, families, and school administrators. As a nonprofit organization, they rely directly on the contributions of individuals to support their services. If you're open to contributing some of your time, expertise, or funding for the health of our children, they are always looking for people to join their team. If you or anyone you know is in the need of anti-bullying services, go to www.napab.org for more information. To view images, information, and sources from this case, visit our website at crimeandconjure.com. Research and writing for this episode was done by Stefan Sham. Editing of this episode was done by Denver Fortner Productions with music by Jordan Alina. Be sure to check out our Instagram at Crime and Conjure Podcast for our question of the week. Sham, what's our Conjure tip of the week? Today, I want to talk about Red Tiger Eye. It's known as a survival stone, and it will ensure that you have all the skills you need to survive and preserve yourself. 
It helps us reconnect with the important aspects of our physical life on this earth and clearly see where we waste our time and energies on things that have limited benefit for ourselves and others. It's said to build confidence and enable you to fulfill any role, perform any task, and speak to anyone with wisdom and grace. This would be a good one to have your child wear as jewelry or carry in their pocket if they're dealing with friends or peers who may come off a little sketchy. Red Tiger Eye will also promote self-care and self-love so that you can guard and nurture your own energies and take care of your own needs. That is such a helpful stone for teenagers as to try to figure out who they are. It's so hard to see sometimes when things or people aren't good for you. This stone also makes really cool jewelry that any teenager would be happy to wear. Okay, Conjurers, we'll be back next week with another episode. Until Until next time, time, stay stay vigilant, vigilant, Conjurers. Conjurers.